Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and today's a special episode with Jill Forger from Valley Stream, Long Island. She started her spiritual journey in 1971 when she discovered All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. She went to India in 1982 and met Baba Mukta Ananda and pres- presently studies with one of his Western teachers, Swami Shankarananda, who has a beautiful ashram in Australia. She teaches art of self-inquiry called the Shiva Process Self-Inquiry, uh, as well as meditation and mantra practice. Welcome, Jill. Hi. hi it's hi. wonderful to see you and have this conversation. This seems like a wonderful show, and I love your backdrop. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who can't see, I have the, the Truth to Power show uh, logo and backdrop on my Zoom that we're uh, recording via Zoom because of uh, COVID. I'm, uh, a lot of our show hosts are recording remotely uh, and broadcasting to you live uh, from home. So why don't we start the conversation off with a little bit about uh, your journey, your both inner and outer, and how it brought you to the Shiva process of self-inquiry. Uh, so tell us about a journey from, we, we kind of teased it a little bit that you started your spiritual journey in 1971. So you can either start there or you can start kind of wherever you feel is most appropriate to uh, tell us a little bit of the inner and outer journey you've taken in your life, yeah. Well, um, no, it's just kind of amusing to me because back in the 70s, I mean, there was a small group of people who were discovering the East. And in contrast to today, which you can find esoteric teachings anywhere on the internet, um, these things were not that easy to find way back when uh, you didn't have the internet and so on. So, um, you know, I was just a kid and I was listening to the music that my dad listened to, Frank Sinatra, Engelbert, Humperdinck, Tom Jones, you know, (laughs) in the 70s. And then suddenly I discovered all things must pass. Now, of course, I knew who the Beatles were, but there was something about that album that my brother brought home one day and I started listening to it and I listened to it for a year every single day and let me tell you that album has so much spiritual wisdom in it Mm. and it really changed my life Um, from that point forward in my life I, I was raised a Lutheran and I still went to church and so on and so forth. But I felt that it had totally expanded my consciousness to be aware that, you know, um, it wasn't just this one path. There wasn't this just, Jesus was not just the only teacher in the universe. And it, it opened my mind. And on my 16th birthday, I received the gift of, um, be Here Now by Ram Das, the American Ram Das. And that also changed my life. If I, when, um, when my teacher, Swami Shankarananda, met Ram Das, he, he packed up his bags and went to India as soon as he could <laughs> to yeah. find that, that, that person of higher consciousness. Um, and when I read about, when I read Be Here Now with by Ram Das, it changed my life. I realized that 
there was more. There was something that I sought and I wanted to find. And he, you know, Ramdas is such an incredible poet and teller of tales. Uh, anyway, um, that changed my life as well. But I didn't uh, get to India until 1982, until I was in my life. And I had started teaching science in Brooklyn and I was living in Brooklyn, but I had had a wonderful life until that point, but teaching uh, was very hard for me. I think, you know, kudos to anyone who is a teacher uh, because that is a hard job. And let me tell you, that was, I was used to being liked and loved and appreciated, but um, when you're a teacher, you have to be tough. And I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't emotionally mature enough at that age. I was 22. Some of my students were 18. Yeah. They were older and wiser than I was, yeah. let me tell you. I went through a similar experience with that. Yeah, similar, very similar. Yeah, years later. So, but yeah. So I was really downhearted because I had I was a high achieving person and had mm. achieved great success up until that point. But let me tell you, I felt like I was a complete failure <laughs> as a teacher. And uh, it, and at that moment, I was listening to the famous Gary Knoll. And I love WBAI, by the way. Um, I don't know if you ever listened. In the 70s, it was uh, an amazing place with great speakers like Julius Lester and Steve Post um, and Lex Hickson. I mean, it was an incredible, that was, you know, that also was a strong influence on my understanding my growth because I was a teenager at that time and that's what I listened to. Those were my heroes. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> at that time, I was listening to Gary Knoll and this famous statement, Gary Knoll says, I only sleep three hours a day <laughs> because I meditate. Yeah. I mean, I heard that and I'm like, that's what I need. <laughs> I need to meditate uh, because then I don't have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and grade all the, well, I, I can wake up at four o'clock in the morning and, not, and grade all these tests and go to school and grade all these papers and teach all day and then come back and do it again and again and again. And I won't get tired. I'll have actually a life besides just teaching because I'll only sleep three hours a day. But, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, um, I don't know that that was uh, that, that that never panned out for me, by the way. I sleep yeah. as much as I need to. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, you know. So tell and me Gary Knoll, I, he also said I heard him say that he didn't eat past seven o'clock at night. But I caught him. I saw him a few times at Suen, you know, past, you know, around 11 o'clock at night eating, you know, dinner. So. Yeah, yeah. Am I going to get in trouble for saying that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, does he still have this radio show? Fantastic radio show for probably the longest show ever on the radio. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. One of natural living. Anyway. 
So talk and to me about the inner and also the inner journey of how you overcame the blocks and, and you know mental blocks and are you able to? How do you think those two are related in inner and outer journeys? And tell us a well, little like going back to Gary, the basics. Yeah. Well, it was Gary Knoll who who had a meditation. He in those days he used to organize people and do yeah. retreats, and he had a retreat on meditation, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was at Grossinger's. Uh, which is in the Catskills. Anyway, um, I decided that I'd go, and my parents said, "Oh, we'll go too." Anyway, it yeah. was a it was a fantastic retreat. But the thing that was the pivotal moment was that when I went there, um, I met uh, I met the, this waiter, and I said to the waiter, "I said this vegetarian food must seem very odd to you," and he said, "Well." just so happens where I live, we only eat vegetarian food. And I said, well, that's crazy. Where do you eat? Where do you live? And he says, I live in an ashram. I said, oh, ashram, that sounds great. Uh, What do you do in your ashram? And he said, we meditate. (laughs) And I said, oh, that's it. That's exactly what I want to learn. I want to learn to meditate. And I said, you have to give me, you know, your address of your ashram and I want to go to your ashram. Well, it turned out there was an ashram um, in New York City in Manhattan. Uh, And since I lived in Brooklyn, I would go to that ashram. And before I knew it, I moved into that ashram and then I was in India. Mm. Um, So. And I spent uh, the next number of years, the next 10 years or so, mostly focused on, you know, studying and uh, chanting and uh, meditating. Yeah, yeah. And also, we're, we're kind of touching in on how the world has changed and how world the changing world and how we kind of get to the point where we kind of like uh, in your pre-interview questions, you're talking a little bit about how earlier on you wanted to, you had the impulse to change the world or change the outer circumstances and how you learn to uh, come to a place where you're accepting the world as is. If you go into that a little bit, uh, a little bit more into kind of the difference between how you were inner in the inner world as a growing up and kind of your perceptions and how they've changed over the years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I learned about when I went to my first meditation class with Swami Shankarananda, I, I reconnected with him after many years, actually. Um, he went to Australia and I was always on the spiritual path, but I reconnected with him in like 2008. And when I, and before reconnecting with him, I came to a place in my life where I was longing for some kind of group process whereby I could connect my spiritual world, my inner spiritual understandings with my life in the outer world. Mm. Um, I wanted some way to connect those things really clearly, more clearly than before to understand that. And the first meditation class, learn to meditate class, I took with Swami Shankarananda. He talked about the inner world versus the outer world. And I really didn't pay that much attention to it the first time around. But um, 
now I contemplate it all the time. Mm. I think it's really, it, to me, it explains so much because the outer world consists of other people and things and objects. Um, and the inner world, however, consists only of my thoughts and my feelings. Mm. So, um, the key is that both worlds are equally lawful, but the laws are different. So it's up to me and you to figure out those laws. For example, if I want to accomplish something in the outer world, I just need to get together with a bunch of friends and we can do yoga or chant or go on a protest or whatever. But if I want to improve my inner world, it's just me doing it. So if I want to go somewhere in the outer world, I can go, but it takes time and it might take money or planning. And even during this confining time, I can walk over to 125th Street Piers and see the Hudson River. But in my inner world, I can go anywhere spontaneously. When I meditate and my eyes are closed, I could be anywhere in the world. And in my inner world, I can be in New York. I can be... A, in Ganeshpuri, India, I can be in Mount Eliza, Australia. Also, if I want something in the outer world, I can order it online if I have the money, but or go to the store in the old days. But if I want some confidence in my inner world, I can't order it online. I can't buy it in the store. I can't even ask my husband to go and pick it up for me. <laughs> um, so those are examples of the differences between the inner world and the outer world. And meditation is an exploration of the inner world. And I encourage people, um, Swami Shankarananda says, uh, he, he got this great insight when he was in India. He came to this understanding that he can't necessarily have the meditation that he wants. However, he can have the meditation that he is having. Hmm. So if you're present, so that's the whole point, like meditation is about being present. And for me, meditation is about being present with my thoughts and my feelings. So I can come to the present moment and discover exactly where I am. And it helps center me so that I have more appropriate understandings of you know, what's going on. And people confuse the inner world and the outer world. And that's why I find it very important to distinguish the two. Um, for example, it's wonderful to read the scriptures like, um, even the yoga sutras, a lot of people, very popular these days. Everybody takes a yoga class, uh, takes a yoga teacher's training, will study the yoga sutras. Fantastic to read and understand. It's really uh, yogic psychology, that book, and a lot of wisdom there. Um, but uh, it is advice for the inner world. The point is that if you clear up your inner world, things happen better in your outer world. That's my personal experience. Mm. Um, so what, what we do 
And actually, there are a couple meditations available online that Swami Shankarananda offers as part. He has a whole podcast series, and you can access his uh, meditation. He has a couple. He has a few meditations that are available as podcasts. A couple. And then he also has talks available. Yeah. But um, the meditation, the main meditation that we do before we practice the Shiva process is to go inside and see if, if there are any, uh, what the energy is going inside. And if there are any blocks, we work with those blocks. And the way we work with those blocks is we work with language. So we, we learn to speak what the block is saying to us. Mm. So we give uh, language to the block. And then um, when we do a group process, you can do the process in a group or you can do it one-on-one -on -one, or you can just practice self-inquiry alone yourself. Um, you write down uh, how you feel in the present moment. Those are called A statements. They're accurate statements. So you take a moment, you sit down, and you come into the present moment, and you give language to how you're feeling in the present moment. Uh, and what happens is when you come to finding where you are in the present moment and feeling there's energy released. And then very often you can go to what we call, what Swami Shankarananda calls B statements, which are possibly beneficial statements. Um, B statements are statements that are like affirmations, for example. They're, they're higher statements. They're statements of wisdom, like statements that your grandmother would say to you, well, you know, all, the, you know, like George Harrison would say to you, all things must pass. Uh, that's, a, that's a classic B statement. So um, you can't come to a B statement until you're ready. So if you're wearing something that you think, oh, this looks terrible on me, and somebody comes up and says, you look fantastic, you're, you're going to roll your eyes and you're not going to feel any better. You're going to feel worse. So that B, that B statement didn't work for you at that time. But if you're wearing something, you're feeling like inside, whoa, I look great. And somebody says, oh, you look great. Then that somehow that works. It's uh, fantastic. So you have to be ready to accept the big thing. That's why affirmations don't always work. They only work when you're ready to accept it, when you're in that frame of reference. So we start with A statements. What's important, you know, when I start a journey, I have to know where I am. The GPS finds me in this present moment, locates me, and then it can guide me and give me directions to go to another location. But if, if my GPS, if I'm up in the Catskills <laughs> and my GPS, you know, I'm not getting any service, uh, my GPS cannot help me because it can't find me. I, yeah. So it won't be able to tell me where to go. And actually, you know, I've had to, I, I, 
the first time I used a GPS, I was like, I got this great analogy. Other people have said this before, so it's not going to sound original, but it was original when I thought of it. Um, that the that the guru is the is the divine GPS. Yeah. Because the guru kind of like will help guide you in a certain direction, but you can always, you know, if the guru says turn right, you can always turn left. And then you can follow your own path. You can follow your own distance. It's not like you have to always listen, uh, but you will have affirmation that you're going in the right direction if you, uh, or you'll be given guidance back to the, to the goal. It's good to get another person's opinion. It's good to get awareness from outside of yourself. Yeah, we're talking a little bit about also um, the connection or the intimacy between inner and outer world and how they're connected. It feels to me almost like, you know, ultimately we get to a point where they're the same. You know, is this kind of the goal? Is this kind of the process where as inner, so outer? So we see them as the same or is this kind of a scaffolding to see them as separate previously and then ultimately we see them as united or is that kind of your practice uh do you ultimately see them as one well of course the you know the spiritual goal is oneness yeah um but we live in a dualistic world i mean we yeah. ca i can say everything is one yeah but i need to eat the proper diet and i need to get enough sleep and you know certain things will bring certain results yeah. in, in the physical universe. So in other words, there are physical laws mm. um, that, that rule the physical universe. Yeah. And there are spiritual laws that rule the inner world because they're two different places. So in the oh. physical world, um, I trust, you know, science, and in education, you know, when I went to college and I studied science, uh, we studied the physical universe and we learned all these, you know, we learn all the rules. I mean, I go around Manhattan. I, I took a drive yesterday. <laughs> I actually left my apartment <laughs> and I was and because I maybe because I've been so hold up in my apartment for too long yeah. i'm looking around at all these buildings and i was on the fdr drive and we in this this place you go underneath this, this is like something you see every day when you're in manhattan <laughs> and it's like i'm seeing it for the first time you know it's like my mind is like it's like whoa <laughs> you go on this road and the bridge is a building. Okay, so you're on the FDR drive. I don't know where it is, but it's like this hospital that goes over the FDR drive. And of yeah, course, they have yeah. a warning before they say low bridge. So don't go on there if you have a <laughs> truck or something. Yeah. And I'm like, these architects, you know, they, how do they build these things? Look at these buildings and they yeah. all stay up. Yeah. You know? I'm just like amazed and you look at the bridges and it's like, it's a miracle. You know, you don't need uh, some kind of psychedelic uh, miracle <laughs> to prove that this world is amazing. Just yeah. the physical laws, you know, studying the physical laws. And, and I remember I spoke to, uh, I, used, I worked once in a, in a construction company and, and these detailers drew, were drawing their 
pictures they'd get from the architect. And he said, and he said to me, well, you know, in my job, nobody ever thanks me for saying that, oh, the, your walls are very perpendicular. Uh, <laughs> what fantastic walls, they're, they're <laughs> perpendicular. And wow, that building actually stands up. No, he does. He says nobody, nobody thanks me for those things. They only tell me if it's not, if there's any tiny little thing that's off. Yeah. So, um, so that's the outer world, and the yeah, outer yeah. world has all these physical laws that we, you know, we need to learn about. We need to learn how to cure the virus and yeah. all that stuff. We need to learn how to stay healthy and prevent yeah. getting sick. So. Um, but the inner world has very different laws. Yeah. And I think it's very important for people to, to, to contemplate the inner world versus the outer world. Yeah. Because yeah. people get confused. People think that uh, the inner world and the outer world are the same thing. And they are different. Mm. And it's important to realize that scriptures, when you're reading scriptures, very often they're... They are maps to the inner world, yeah. but they aren't necessarily telling you exactly what to do in the outer world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that sounds um, like, as I understand, like a lot of people confuse many scriptures as being like literal in the sense of describing the outer world. But we understand that they're describing the inner process, that inner development, that psychic development, that inner world, that inner mandala uh, of... Uh, you know what's inside the psyche uh what i was just getting out was that the connection the intimately connected so when you see the building you think of it as amazing you think of it as um almost a psychedelic experience and kind of a thing because many people go past it and don't see that so they're not so in a way it's like that intimate connection between how it manifests to you is like how the outer world manifests to you is based on your inner world so in that sense, I kind of understand the intimate connection that we can't see the outer world without seeing our inner world. That's the lens, that rose-colored glass that we're looking at. So we can never actually separate it. Will we ever even see the outer world is the question. If we ever right. have an intimate connection with it, because we're so, we're so coming from that lens of our, of our inner world that it's almost impossible to see what's out there without filtering it through our, our feelings and perceptions, you know? But returning right. to your shiver process, so um, we're kind of seeing the outer world and we're kind of and now you're talking about um, accept, accurate statements and uh, pop, affirmation statements. Um, so accurate statements are basically we're like, you know, where we're at right now kind of establishes my understanding is that establishes where in the GPS we are. And then the affirmation statements is like where we want to go to. Right. Would you say that or is that kind of. The point, well, that's or... an interest. That's an interesting take. I have to think about that. Yeah. Um, but I. But definitely, we do want to move towards the realm of the B statements. Yeah. But we can't. You can't force it. It's can't like you it, can't. Yeah. You know, when you're on this street, you can't be on the next street. You have to be wherever you are. Uh, and um, one thing Swami Shankarananda talks about is our tearing thoughts, and. You know, he says, you know, like um, the mind has a tendency to attack. I know for myself, you know, when I I get nervous and uh, my mind tells me, oh, I can't do this. Um, and 
let me tell you, I have all kinds of negative thoughts that come up for me uh, a lot and they hold me back. And um, the thing about tearing thoughts is that um, when they are happening, in other words, when I feel bad, this is my practice. If I'm feeling bad, I will, I know that there are some tearing thoughts going around in my head. I might not even notice or know what they are. So if I'm feeling bad, I sit down and I go, okay, what is, where am I right now? And I start writing down the, the thoughts that are going in my head. And they're, they're probably pretty negative. Like you can't do this and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, why are you even trying? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like all these negative thoughts that, but they're invisible and they're creating this negative, this hard, you know, I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling negative about myself and about the world. So what I try to do is sit down become aware of them. As soon as I become aware of them, they lose their insidious hold on my psyche. I realize, oh, yes, I'm having these tearing thoughts again. I'm having this problem. And the thing about feeling is that you can't move feeling um, automatically. You can't say, you can't say, oh, I'll just be happy then. Yeah. No, you can't. You know, you'll just be more unhappy and spiritual people tend to have a weird thing where uh they feel like they should be happy all the time mm. and so they feel guilty about feeling bad so it kind of compounds <laughs> the the you know feeling bad and then you feel guilty that you're feeling bad oh i'm so i'm so spiritual i i can't feel bad <laughs> you know yeah. so it becomes very difficult so what you do is you sit down you take a moment you take a breath and what we do is we you can sit down and you can write the tearing thoughts and that will help them go away another practice i do is i sit down and i send the thoughts outside the room and i say okay thoughts just wait and i center myself and i feel the feelings and I go into different centers, spiritual centers inside of me, and I feel the feelings in those centers. And I notice, you know, what are those feelings and where are they located? And, you know, that helps because it kind of takes the, when I'm stuck in a story, like he did that to me, she did that to me. It's, you know, it did that to me. Um, and I'm mad at that. It's very hard to get out of. It's very hard to to fix that because I believe in that story, but the story is bringing me down. So I have to take a moment away from the story. So I take the story and I say, "Okay, story, just go out mm -hmm. and just wait outside the room." And then I sit down with my feelings and feel my feelings, and I notice, you know, what is. Which part, you know, where is this feeling happening? Is my navel getting contracted? You know, do I feel a contraction in my heart? Uh, is my throat contracted? Or is it all like circulating like these angry thoughts in my head? You know, where, where am I feeling this, this feeling? Um, and 
then I can be present with my feelings. It's very helpful. It's very healing. It releases energy and it allows me to um, let my feelings move. The thing about feelings is that if you push them back, if you hold them in place and you say, I'm not going to feel that, I'm not going to feel that, I'm pushing it away. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel frightened. Um, it'll get stuck. The feelings will get stuck. And then you'll be, you know, you'll push things away. You'll become numb. Um, and people, you know, want to become, you know, they think that that's the only solution. And so they take substances to feel numb. And so they won't feel their feelings. But if you allow yourself to feel your feelings, um, it's not as scary as you might, as people think, um, because feelings move. And as soon as you allow yourself, you know, look at a child, you know, that's children tend to be more natural with their feelings. And one minute they're screaming and crying and the next minute they're being comforted by their mother and then they're okay. And then suddenly they're laughing and, and running around again. And that's how feelings are. They're very fluid. And we have, and I need to learn to be just present with my feelings. And instead of holding on to the story all, all the time, because, you know, all right. So I get mad at my boss or whatever. I make a, I get angry you know, I can go inside and, you know, first get rid of the story. I can feel my feelings. Then I can proxy. I can um, also proxy my boss. What is she feeling right now? And, and that's a more compassionate way, you know. And then I, I, so in the group process, we proxy each other. We go and we feel we discover how connected we are through feeling with each other. And, you know, we offer statements, language, uh, healing language to our partners, you know, the people who are doing the process that will uplift us. And it's, it's quite a miraculous process. Um, and the point is not, you know, when you do group therapy, the point is you take a problem, you work out a problem, blah, blah, blah. You talk. Actually, I've never done group therapy, so um, mm. I, should, I shouldn't talk. But in the spiritual process, what we're paying attention to is not so much the story. We're, we try to focus on the upward shift of feeling. Yeah, yeah. So in this group, it's interesting because most of the time we think of meditative practices as being a solitary journey of a person exploring their inner world. And in this dynamic, you have a group of people, a group of like-minded practitioners who are exploring, kind of triggering off, you know, thoughts and feelings from other people. And tell us a little bit more about kind of how this differentiates itself or, or in what way does, what role does each of the, the community play, the other your partner or the other person play in that process we, we talked a little bit about um kind of making statements you know confronting blocks you know first going from accurate statements to affirmative statements uh b statements or affirmative statements so in what role does this uh in this process I and mean, people can investigate on uh on their own but we're just getting an overview 
uh, for the <laughs> listeners to get a sense of what the partner or the other person does in this process. Yeah. Well, I, I find this process very powerful and, and it really cuts to the quick. Um, I, I have friends who are social workers and therapists and they kind of like the process because it really goes to the root of, uh, um, of doing this process. Um, I, what you're supposed to do, so when we're in the group, ideally, now you have to really learn to do the self-inquiry process um, either on your own or with someone else mm. first before you uh, are in the group. Because every person in the group uh, determines uh, the the how well the process turns out. Mm. So um, you really need you're really dependent upon each person in the group to offer a significant role. And in, and ultimately, you know, there is no real leader. There is a person usually who leads the the process, but it's truly speaking everybody is participating on an equal level and offering. And when I do this, the process, it's, you're not supposed to think about what the person needs. You're not supposed to offer advice to the person, although you can ask the person if they want advice. And if they want advice, you can, you can then give them advice. But where we do say that, you know, that's not really the point. You're not really trying to solve the problem. Instead, what I do is I go inside to feel the feeling of what's present. And then I speak from that feeling. And then the person has to, um, I speak from that feeling, I, I being that person. So I, I, for a moment, I try on that person and I speak, I say, I'm that person and I feel whatever and then that person has to try that that on and see how it feels they and when you say the statement you shouldn't say it to to your head you shouldn't think about it you should say it to the place where you identified the contraction the feeling mm. and see and you try it on you say you try you say the statement and you see does that release that contraction or not and yeah. if it does, then that statement works for you. Even if that statement is a crazy state, seems like a crazy statement or, you know, like, um, you know, I, sometimes I will say a statement and it doesn't make sense to me, but it really relates to what the other person feels. Mm. Um, you know, it might be purple and blue, you know. <laughs> Uh, you, it's very surprising because uh, in the end, what what I learn from these profound groups is that I realize how connected I am intuitively with other people, all other people. And, you know, when you are with other humans, you know, we vibrate with each other um, and we don't even realize it. 
maybe we'll, we'll probably realize it more when we start seeing each other after being isolated in our apartments mm. for a long period of time, we'll realize how powerfully other people have an effect. But what's it's very interesting to me is I've been doing my sessions via Zoom um, and they have been very powerful um, even via Zoom. Uh, mm. And, you know, when, we, when I learned, when I originally started learning this process from Swami Shankarananda, of course, I was in New York City. He was in Australia. He has an ashram. Uh, he had one of his teachers. Uh, we didn't have Zoom at the time. We had Skype. So he came once a week and we did a process with a group of people for years, <laughs> we did this via Skype. And then eventually I went to Australia, I got trained and um, a few times. And then uh, they said, well, you should do your own sessions now. And so ever since then I've been, you know, doing my own sessions. Mm. That's and really great. And uh, tell us a little bit about where people can find out about how to join or uh, wh what website they can go to. We'll get a chance to plug that before uh, it's already 42. So we have about 20 more minutes. We all wanted to also talk a little bit about something else, but uh, tell us a little bit about where people can find about self-inquiry process, your process self-inquiry. Okay. So um, you should, first off, if you're interested, there are some really great books that you can get on Amazon by mm -hmm. Swami Shankarananda. And one is this, there was a lot of happy books. There's happy for no good reason. Oh, look, you can see. Yeah. And, um, and he did one of the first happy books, you know, when there was a, all, all these happy books that were coming out like 10 years ago. Anyway, his most recent book, which I think anybody would enjoy, is called Ganesh Puri Day's Memoir of a Western Yoga, Yogi. And the, uh, the website, Swamiji's website is www.theashram.com.au. You have to get, do the AU at the end because that's Australia. So it's www.theashram.com.au. And you can email them at info at theashram.com.au. And ashram is A-S-H-R-A-M, just like it sounds um so if you're interested in that process swamiji uh go to that website swamiji has wonderful free podcasts um and this book is available on kindle um and also like i say on amazon the ganesh puri days which is a great story and he talks about meeting ram das and krishna das and Neem Karoli Baba and uh, um, other famous uh, saints, and then his time spent with Baba Muktananda. Um, I highly recommend it. I think anybody could appreciate it. It's a great story uh, with a lot of wisdom intertwined. Um, so, and happy for no good reason, Swamiji also wrote a book called Self-Inquiry as well which goes more specifically in the process but he starts the whole understanding of the process from happy for no good reason the thing about this process that's so 
cool is that if you is that it's 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 very deep and it's really um if it has a profound history of i mean swamiji it came out of swamiji through his years of meditation and connection with his guru and his guru's guru bhagavan nityananda and it's swami shankarananda has an amazing capacity to take very esoteric understandings and just make them very accessible mm. uh and that's what i that's his gift uh to to the essence like uh muktananda was uh talked about a kashmir shaivism and he turned a lot of people onto that philosophy of kashmir shaivism um swami shankarananda has a book consciousness is everything and that it's more than just an introduction to kashmir shaivism it's really the the essence of it he distills it into an incredible place where you can experience it on a new level through your understanding um so uh that's what is um i found i find very helpful and as far as me i mean i'm on facebook i i'm just about to launch my website um you can get in touch with me but actually if you ask a, um my spiritual name which was given to me by baba muktananda um is uh chandraleka and if you write to the ashram uh they will happily and you say you're in new york or something or in the states he'll happily refer you they will happily refer you to me they know who i am mm. so oh, okay. um but uh you can find me on facebook jill chandraleka flow because uh, yeah. it's a shortening of my husband's last name oh. okay good good yeah and i will have a links up on the um you know we can have some links to the uh gurji's uh you know website on the podcast so when people are listening when it goes to archives people okay. listen and we'll have a link up to the uh so the the dot au link we'll put up there Fantastic. so um you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, the Truth to Power show. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is independent, listener-supported radio. Uh, if you'd like to listen to our feed while you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile apps or iPhone or Android, available in the respective Play Stores. Um, be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the uh, latest news of new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org/newsletter. Um, this is the Truth to Passion Radio for Brooklyn. Uh, friends, uh, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and Radio for Brooklyn is no exception. Uh, we're starting to slowly transition into uh, doing shows from the studio, but we want you to know that we made every efforts to ensure the health and well-being of our host staff and, and the community at large. Uh, for a long time, we closed both our studios and canceled events. Uh, hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting from home. Uh, and also from selecting their best pre-records from the past shows. With most of our revenue stream evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way towards helping us stay on the air.
Here are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time donation monthly pledge at going to radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. There you'll find some great t-shirts, mugs, and other swag that we'll send to you to say thanks. You can also use your phone, text RFB give five, that's number five, four, four, three, two, one. It only takes a moment and you can be able to use your digital wallet. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to amazon.com slash smile and register Ready for Brooklyn as your nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, present to your sale, we'll go to RFB and uh, it'll cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We can thank you from the bottom of our hearts and our listeners, uh, wish our listeners health and happiness as we weather the storm together. So we have about 10 more minutes. So uh, also I want to talk to you a little bit about um, like your Bhakti movement and how you do mantra resetization, mantra resetization, and how that plays into your practice. Uh, mantras and uh, I intend you also play music and uh, devotional music. So we can listen a little bit to that at the end. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. How that plays into it. Yeah. And I will. But yeah. you were talking about swag. And I just yeah. wanted to mention that I will definitely make a donation so I can get some swag from, <laughs> uh, for Swami Shankarnanda. Yeah. Because he started out in Brooklyn. He's oh, from cool. Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah. And he writes about it in his memoir, his experiences in Brooklyn and being a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Oh, awesome. And uh, hey. it's really, you know, he he describes, you know, his his early days of what it was like back then in Brooklyn and his parents. And uh, it's, you know, it's a great story. Yeah. And then how he goes from a Brooklyn kid to Columbia University to, uh, you know, to being a prof English professor. Yeah. And then ending up in India and becoming a Swami. So yeah. um, it's, you know, it's a great read. So you, you don't have to be uh, 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 spiritual to, to enjoy it. But uh, if you are, you'll get even extra benefit from it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So we've been talking a little bit about the spiritual journey, inner and outer. Uh, we touched a little bit about blocks and feelings and how they can open, how you can open them up, how you can kind of get to a point of affirmation. Um, you know, some of the teachers that you followed and some of the teachings. Uh, we also touched about follow your bliss, uh, you know, expanding on that and how we can kind of um, follow teaching, but also follow bliss, how they're both conjoined, I think was a very interesting topic. And now we're talking a little bit about how how mantra recitation can, uh, or bhakti or devotional aspects can bring us to a, a further that inner journey. How do you think that's possible? Um, I do feel that, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the West here, uh, we take showers every day and uh, we exercise every day and brush our teeth every day. Uh, but we don't think about the fact that we need some mental hygiene. Mm. Um, and I am a strong believer in mental hygiene and in, in working with my mind because my mind makes all my decisions. Yeah. And when I'm, when I'm feeling, uh, when I have anger or fear, my mind is vitiated. I can't make 
the same strong decisions. I can't think clearly from where I am in the present moment if if I'm um, full of some kind of uh, anger or 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 fear. Um, so. Uh, in order for me to have a clear mind and make a positive decision for myself, I need to find that place. Uh, Swamiji calls it the clear space of good feeling, as opposed to the confused space of, you know, bad feeling. Mm. Um, all feelings are sh ha or have energy or shakti. So I don't like to, you know, yeah. say certain feelings are bad, but um, certain feel there is a place there is a new there is a place of um, peace that is inside that lays underneath the 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 surface emotional feelings mm. so once I take my my thoughts I put them outside the room I go into my feelings I can find a place of peace that I can contact, um, which over years of practice, you know, I have learned to find. Um, but like I say, sometimes thoughts can be very insidious and insistent. So I also believe very strongly in mantra practice. So does Swamiji. He, in fact, Swamiji has created, you'll laugh at this perhaps, but the Millionaires Club. Oh, so, yeah. um, so it's like spiritual materialism. You can rack up lots of mantras. And in fact, I even have an app on my phone, which I use sometimes um, to, to get more numbers. Uh. But, but ultimately, I, I have found um, that mantra practice has saved my life a couple times. Um, when I have had <clears throat> very bad news, like, um, I don't know if you've ever been fired from a job or laid off. Um, uh, my mind, even if it's not my fault, uh, I know that my mind is going to beat me up. I've had situation. I mean, I, I was the sole breadwinner of my family and I was laid off and I just knew that I was going to freak out. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to freak out. Yeah. So I forced myself to do to do a, a thought fast, fasting from thinking mm. and to only do the mantra for three days. Uh, that's that was my response, because I knew that otherwise I would just start beating myself up and telling myself I was a terrible person. And that wasn't going to help the situation. I needed to get myself back on my feet so I could apply for more jobs and, you know, and get it together. Um, so I just sat down and I started that thought fast. Well, within, I don't know, 12 hours or so, I was already ready to go back to the, you know, I was already applying for unemployment insurance and, uh, and, getting things done and applying for jobs and everything like that. And, and ultimately all these uh, bad things that have happened to me, as far as my job, you don't want to know my job history. Um, every time something difficult has come up, something better has come along. And that's, that's thank God for that. But um, it's, 
it's not something you believe in the moment when when bad news hits. It's a crisis, and there's no way that you I can deal with the crisis uh, beating myself up. I have to get to that place of peace and and ultimately, you know, through lots of years of experience, I have faith that things will, you know, I, I have been shown in this life, I, I have had a lot of grace and um, challenging moments, but ultimately this incredible grace, I mean, this grace of meeting Swami Shankarananda and, in 1983 and reconnecting with him and um, also, the other practice, you were asking about other practices. Um, I love Sanskrit and uh, I love chanting Baba Muktananda in his ashram, his tradition. And, and actually, uh, Muktananda inspired a lot of people and his energy originally came from Bhagavan Nityananda, who is a great saint in India. And he inspired many, many teachers. So the, the lineage that comes from uh, Nityananda is is profound and it's vast. And if and there's a website actually nityanandatradition.org, and you can see the many 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 teachers who have come from uh, Bhagavan Nityananda, who's who lives in Ganeshpuri, and who lived in Ganeshpuri. And there's a great samadhi shrine there. It's uh, has great spiritual energy it's a font of spiritual power yeah and also as we start to wind out i want to listen a little bit to the mantra uh recitation if you play a little bit of the uh music and then we can talk a little bit over it and then we can kind of end at that point you know so just okay. about that so we can play a minute of it and then we'll about to end yeah thank you so much okay. for being here thank you thank you so, you can so the meaning yeah, go ahead. So this is the perfect mantra. It me the meaning um, is oh I'm not I don't have the exact translation in front of me, but it means this is perfect. That is perfect. Take the perfect from the perfect, and the perfect remains. <laughs> so good, you can good. contemplate that, good. and uh, I'll start that. Okay, thank you. Well, let me. Um, this has been the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks so much for listening. About 30 seconds. Hopefully we can get this. Yeah. Okay. 20 seconds. Uh oh. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll have to look it up. Oh, yeah.